I never made a business plan. I didn't allow that to kind of cripple me because if I had thought go with a business plan direction, I would have kind of seized up and not done it because it just feels so daunting. Adriana Kerrig is the founder and CEO of A Little Words Project. Bullied from a very young age, Adriana made bracelets to help herself through very difficult times. And while she was in college, she made them for her sorority to build community and encouragement. It didn't take long for her to realize that this simple product could become a vehicle of kindness and self-love for the masses. Today, her company has over 100,000 direct online customers, 750 wholesale accounts, and she has opened retail locations around the U.S. Coming up, Adriana shares her tips on how to just get started in business, the secret behind Little Word's guerrilla marketing tactics. You'll hear about the secret survey behind Adriana's successful hiring process, And finally, what you need to know before you begin to sell your products wholesale. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Adriana, I am so thrilled to finally be sitting down having this conversation with you actually on the podcast because we had connected. We were just talking about this and I want to tell all of our listeners, I think over four years ago now, 2019, because of both of us going through our fertility journeys. Oh my gosh. It has been such a journey for us in the past, you know, however many years it's been now. Yeah. Like 2019. And to still be here connecting is such an incredible thing. So thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Well, I'm excited for you to share all about the growth of Little Words Project. I am such a fan. We love your bracelet so much, but I know it was probably not an easy journey to get to where you are today with the business. Did you always know growing up that you wanted to have your own business one day? Yes and no. So I I had seen my father who had his own business kind of for most of my childhood and into my adolescence. And I loved the idea of having a little bit of flexibility with my life. But, you know, and I always knew that I was going to be like a, I always thought I'd be a boss somehow. (laughs) I was one of those girls, like a true Aries girl. But no, I never, I I didn't necessarily know that I was going to be an entrepreneur, right? And start something from the ground up. But yeah, it's definitely been a journey. (laughs) Tell me about the idea to start Little Words Project. Where did it come from? So I had grown up dealing with pretty much a lifetime of cruelty from other girls and and bullying um, from a very, very young age. It kind of continued into college. I say kind of, but it, it did continue into college. And it occurred to me as I'm, you know, turning 21 years old, 22 years old, that and, and seeing that this was still happening, it occurred to me this was like a female problem, right? And that, you know, we really as women needed a reminder, a daily reminder to be kind to one another, love ourselves, and then also kind of lift one another up and kind of share that love as we come across it. So that's kind of where the idea of it was born. I started a version of them in my college sorority. 
who was my, you know, that was my first experience with real sisterhood amongst women. And we would pass them amongst ourselves. We would trade them person to person. And the idea really stuck. And so when I graduated and I had taken a little bit of time off, I was thinking of going to law school, actually taking the tests to get into law school. When I had this aha moment of if we could only, you know, track and see where the bracelets went, then we could really create a sisterhood and a movement that was far bigger than, you know, anything I could have ever imagined. And, and you know, fast forward 10 years now, we have done that, you know, so it's, it's just very cool to see and, and remember those beginnings. What were some of the first steps that you took when you decided I'm just going to get started and launch this business? Yeah, I love that question because I feel like so many people get like analysis paralysis and like don't actually make a move into jumping feet first into a business idea because it can be scary, right? And it, it can feel like if you don't have a business plan or you don't have, you know, forecasted revenue numbers or what have you, it, it's almost impossible. But I'm one of those people that I don't always have everything figured out. I'm not like a buttoned up person. So for me, I just started. I literally, I woke up, I had that idea of the tracing code, the, the trackability code. I knew what I wanted them to look like, right? I wanted them to be these fun, you know, simple bracelets that I had been making myself, right? For my college sorority at the time. Um, so it was really just a matter of, okay, I have to get more materials. I have to create an Instagram account. I have to talk to a lawyer um, about, you know, the legalities of the name and making sure I'm, you know, doing all those things. But it was really just like talking to people, asking advice, and then just taking one step at a time. And I never made a business plan. I didn't allow that to kind of cripple me. Because if I had thought, go with a business plan direction, I would have kind of seized up and not done it because it just feels so daunting. So yeah, it was really just a matter of talking about it regularly with people, seeing who knew whom that could help me. Oh, I actually have a friend that works in trademark law. So, you know, let me connect you with her. And then I talked to her and then she got me in with her lawyer. And it was really just a matter of, you know, putting one foot in front of the next. And from a marketing standpoint, I knew I needed a website. So I started engaging with people on that. I knew I needed photography, started engaging with people on that. And I did invest of my own money, about a $5,000 investment, though you can do it for cheaper. It's just how I chose. That's the path I chose. So yeah, it was not very organized, but it was an organized chaos, which is what we've been this whole time. Well, I feel like that that's a lot of us for sure. What did oh, it, totally. What did it feel like that day when your site was finally live and people could start ordering? Oh my gosh, that was one of the coolest days ever. I launched November 11th of 2013. And I picked that date because of 11-11 and our marketing around it was make a wish, you know, your wishes come true. Little Words Project is now here. And it was very cool. I love, you know, I, I really knew that because I was a consumer product, I really wanted to be done and have everything up at the very least in November before Christmas because I wanted to capture that holiday dollar and it worked. We were profitable in the first month, which was very cool to see having that website 
up and running. I was able to provide a link to all of my sorority sisters from, you know, the years past, and then also any friends and family and everyone put it up on Facebook. So just kind of really leveraging my community from the very start and that guerrilla marketing tactic that really, really worked for us then and continues to work for us now. So that experience just was, it was unbelievable to see those first few orders roll through and then to start fulfilling them, you know, they were, it was just so much fun. Still to this day, my favorite thing is to see orders come through and I'm not physically the one fulfilling them. I very rarely pop on to see, but when I, when I hop onto the stories of the Instagram to try to sell like a bundle or something new that we're doing. And when I see them sell, like I'm like a kid in a candy shop. I just love the experience. Are you on Shopify? We are on Shopify. Yes. Were you on Shopify when you first launched? I'm trying to actually remember that. I think so. Shopify, I mean, this was 10 years ago. So Shopify wasn't like as huge as it is, I think. But I do think we were on Shopify. In the beginning. Yeah. In the very, I, very beginning. I feel like we always talk about this with people who are on Shopify, that sound of the cash register when you when you get the sale. It's like an addiction. It's the best. It's an addiction. And my husband and I both for the longest time have it on our phones. So we hear, not the ding, but it's a, it's a buzz. It's a vibrate. And only recently, actually, when I recently became pregnant, I turned my phone to do not disturb. So I can't hear anything anymore. And it's it's honestly quite nice because my phone was just constantly going off. I'd be around my my family or my brother and he'd be like, are you kidding me with that? Turn that off. <laughs> like, I know. I don't know why. It's it's an addiction. <laughs> it is. It's good good business problems for sure. Oh, yeah. 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 Right. Right. Humble brag. <laughs> Take me back to some of the early days of building the business. When you first started, I assume it was just you in the early days when you were getting started. How did you figure out when it was time to make your first hire? And now how many, how many people are you now? We are just shy of 50 full-time employees. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we don't grow much beyond that because leading a team is and and also just hiring and getting the right people on the bus is one of the hardest things I've ever done but I yeah those first few months really it was it was a family affair it was my dad was the shipping department as he lovingly refers to himself um, my mom and I were like the manufacturing team like it was a very very family oriented situation. I still had a full-time job in the city. So I'd commute every day into the city from New Jersey. And then every night I'd be working on making bracelets and getting them out the door from like 7 to 1 a.m., 7 p.m. to 1 a.m. So that was hard. Those were those were difficult days, but they were also really rewarding and really satisfying again, because something I had created was being, you know, was entering the hands of people who who loved it. And that's just kind of what has kept me going this whole time. But then when it comes to, you know, once we started to expand, the first step was getting out of my parents' basement. My now husband and I moved in together um, and it was a studio apartment in Jersey City. So it was me, him and the business in one room. And I hired an intern and I hired one full-time, like a free, an unpaid intern and a one full-time staffer. And, you know, my husband would go to work in the morning and they would come in and we would be making bracelets and packing orders and rushing them downstairs to the postman at the end of the night. And then, so that was that, you know, just knowing, to answer your question succinctly, (laughs) I knew when I needed to hire when I could not fulfill orders on time alone anymore. And that is kind of the same methodology we've applied to hiring from the very beginning. And it's really because we were 
a lean startup that bootstrapped our way to where we are today. There was no outside capital for the full the last 10 years. We've had no outside investment. So that means that everything that we did had to be profitable and we had to put that money back into the business. So we couldn't just say, all right, let's hire, you know, 10 of the best site strategists and, you know, marketers and what have you and and bring them all in. No, we literally had to hire when we were making enough money to do so. And then we knew that adding them to the team would be accretive. So it was really a matter in those early days of like, hey, I need more hands. So who's looking for a job? And it continued like that over the next 10 years until probably around year eight, we started really hiring for scale and less for playing catch up, if you will. Were you focused in the early days mostly on just selling direct to consumer on your site, or did you already start working on partnerships uh, and selling wholesale in stores? The early days was very site oriented. It was like a fully customizable experience. You can pick a style and put any word in. It was a very different experience than it is now. And then, so that was just like again very ad hoc. An order would come through. We would we would make it and fulfill it. Once we around three years in we started looking the direction of wholesale. And that's because a rep, a wholesale rep who is in the industry of, you know, going to retail stores and selling brands, selling lines to those stores. um, She contacted me and said, you know, I would love to represent you in New England. And uh, her name was Eileen. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. And she taught me what a line sheet was. She taught me like what your wholesale margins should be. And I realized I was pricing everything kind of incorrectly for wholesale. Like if I wanted to go the wholesale route, so I had to raise my retail prices. So there was a lot of kind of hullabaloo around going the wholesale direction, but it was definitely something we shifted into over, you know, after the first three years. Though That said, there were a lot of opportunities that came across our laps of brands wanting to work with us. I had Merck, Merck for Mothers, reach out to us early, early on to do something together. That fell through because it was going to be way too big of an order for me to fulfill. Um, But that was cool. And then I also worked with Always Brands, the Pads, the Pads brands on their Like a Girl campaign. I don't know if you remember like the Fight Like a Girl, that whole campaign. We did bracelets for all their editors. We made a totally new design for them. And we worked with sorority. So we had a lot of bulk order opportunities in those early years, but really going the direction of adding another revenue stream of wholesale did not come until 2016. Do you make all of the bracelets by hand or do you now have like machines that help do them faster? They're all, yeah, no, you would think because it's 2023 and the amount of things that we can do in this world for some reason, beating bracelets is not possible via machine. It's like, there may be some bracelets, but not ours because the words have to be spelled out. The letters are very, you know, like if someone could invent a machine that could make this easier for us, I'd pay you a million dollars, literally. Do you know that that was the number one question I wanted to ask you today because I couldn't stop thinking about it. So for our listeners, like we just had our Entrepreneurista 100 event and for all of our members were at the event, we ordered special Entrepreneurista Little Words Project bracelets. And I kept thinking because the name Entrepreneurista to spell it is a little bit difficult if you're not reading it. I kept thinking, I'm like, what if they're not spelled correctly? Do I need to check all of them? I wonder if they're doing this by hand or it's machine. I'm like, I'm going to ask you when you're on the podcast. (laughs) 
they are by hand. And honestly, sometimes we will get some that are not spelled correctly, but we do try to, we have a process that is very intentional when it comes to our quality assurance. So we really try to make sure that everything is spelled correctly, but it, it sometimes the things slip through the cracks. Um, we have women so we manufacture both overseas and in-house. Our, most of our custom orders are done in-house by our team of, we have about 15 incredible women. Most of them are, are immigrants and some of them primarily speak Spanish. So there are times where like we'll see certain words that are just like ever so slightly tweaked to the Spanish version <laughs> and it's sweet and it's like fun. And I love those ladies so much. And, you know, they are definitely a mainstay for our brand because it's a big job, you know, and they're making thousands of bracelets a day as a group. So yeah, we're really just, we're put, not thousands. Let me say probably a thousand. Although each one can make like a hundred something a day. It's, it's wow. wild. It's Do wild. you know how many bracelets you've made over the past 10 plus years? No, <laughs> I, I don't, but my team definitely does. And we recently did like this exercise where we were trying to figure out like how many times someone was like, we could definitely, you know, circle the world. But if we like connected every bracelet together, I'm like, there's no way. And I, I was right. It, no, not even close, but we can go up and down the Empire State Building a couple of times, which is cool. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah. But a lot. Up next, the timeline behind building a successful brand. Adriana, so many entrepreneurs get into business or start a business because we have this pain point or a passion and we think that and we know we're the best ones to execute. And then as we're growing and scaling, it turns out growing a business can end up being managing a huge team and not having the background and the skill set to manage while well, you're managing a 50 plus person team now. So Tell me about some of the learning lessons from scaling the business and managing this very large team that you have now. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's um, definitely the hardest. I'd say the absolute hardest part about owning and running a business. And as entrepreneurs, we really, it's not necessarily our forte, right? Like not everyone who has an idea or can execute at the ground level of something is made to be a leader and a, you know a CEO and all the things that come along with that. So I don't know where I fall. I don't know if I was made to be a leader. I definitely try my hardest and I I care so much about my team, but there are it's borderline impossible sometimes to keep everyone that you employ happy to give them everything you want to give them while also running a successful business that you have to grow and still be scrappy about right like i can't bring out all the perks of like this isn't you know you're not working for shopify right or spotify or any of these kind of cooler brands with like ping pong tables in the office you're working for a startup and it it's very hard because on the one hand you know i expect and need overtime hours and people to be grinding it out with me. But on the other hand, I, I want this to be a place that people want to come and work at. So that's been hard to navigate. Uh, but I will say, you know, the most important thing that you can do as a leader is make sure that the people you are hiring, one, are good people. And I always have led with, I need hands and bodies and I need them to be kind and 
recently I, I asked a mentor of mine, like what he looks for when he's hiring. And he said humility. And I was like, Ooh, that's such a good word because that, that humility and that ability to take accountability and all of that is really what makes an incredible employee and someone that you can lean on and count on because there's nothing worse than someone who doesn't want to take accountability for themselves because you can't then coach and you can't help them grow. And so I learned that the hard way over the years and I've had to let go of about, you know, at the numbers around 10 people over the past 10 years. And I'd say 30 to 40% of that has been the last two. So it's just, it's been hard to have those tough conversations because you feel like you failed them. Like you put the wrong people on the team or in the wrong seat on the bus and, or they just ran their course, right? There are some cup, there are some people who they're right for those earlier days and they're right for the scrappiness and, and the, the, just that growth mentality. But then when it gets to these more significant days where you have to like have more of a skill set and have more experience that sometimes goes beyond just actual experience. And sometimes is, it comes down to, you know, dollars and cents, like how much are we expending on this person and how much are we getting back? And it's hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. It's hard to even talk about. And, you know, there are times where I've gone back and thought to myself, well, if I had known how difficult this part would be, I don't know that I would have done it, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, the when it when it's right and you nail it, it's the most rewarding thing ever, um, even if it's just for a period of time. And then hopefully the only thing you can hope is that you've done right by them enough during their time with you that when they do go their separate, when we you do go your separate ways, they have a fond memory of their experience. That's not always the case either, you know, and that's hard and scary. So yeah, making sure they're in the right seat is definitely going to be a huge part. And a lot of times it's, what do I know? What do I not know? And when you're really, when you're in those growing stages, what do I not know? And how can I hire people that know more than I do? Definitely. I am all about that. I, I never want to be the smartest person in the room, always finding other people who know a lot more and can really continue to help grow the company and add value. You mentioned kindness and I am totally with you. I always say we always want to hire nice, kind people because at the end of the day, like that is the most important thing. Are there certain questions that you ask people during an interview to figure out like, are they a good person? Are they someone that we definitely want to be around? You know, I got to be honest, I have stopped interviewing. <laughs> and this is where it comes down to knowing what you're good at and knowing what you're not good at. Because I have hired so many people on off literally one meeting. I, I hire them on the spot. And I literally have, my husband came along and was like, you have to stop doing and I'm like, I know, but I just love them. And then, you know, it's not, that doesn't always equate, right? Like loving someone doesn't necessarily always equate to them being the perfect fit for the role that you're hiring for. Because sometimes the person is the right fit for the company and the team, but they're not the right fit for that role. Let's say they're a really highly social person and you're putting them in a role that's very technical and tedious and they can't stop and gab whenever they want, right? So, but there are roles that that's a highly social person would be perfect for. But do you have an opening for those, right? So once you get to a bigger state size and you have to be putting people in those right seats based on those parameters, you really have to hire to the seat. And I, when I say we think and focus on kindness and whether or not they're good people, you know, that I think has to be a gut feeling that that the interviewer has, you know, and there are no specific questions that we ask to gauge that as much as 
we just try to to talk to them and get to know them as much mm. as possible in that in the process. And usually it's about three or four interviews at this point that we'll do. Whereas earlier days, it was like one interview. You're if in. I liked you, you're in. And then that would bite me in the, in the ass later. <laughs> what is your interview process now? What's worked for the company? Well, so there's one thing that I, I will share that we've really loved. And it's, we started using this company called Culture Index. You do have to pay for it. And as I got, you know, as we got bigger and, and had more liquid capital to use in this kind of scenario, we've really just put a bigger investment in making sure we get the right people on the team because we don't want to overcompensate and overhire and then hire around people. Because that's how you end up with a very, very bloated line item for your payroll, right? And that's always going to be the highest line item for anyone's P&L in business as you're scaling and growing. But for a while, we felt like, oh my gosh, we have so many people on all these teams, but we're not making the money that we should be making to justify how big that we're getting. Now it's definitely shaken out a little bit better and, and it's become a little bit more of the right scale. But that was not without having to make really hard decisions, have really hard conversations and, and let go of some people that are, you know, truly took a piece of my heart with them. That said, Culture Index has really been a great tool for us because it is essentially a, it's not a personality assessment so much as it's like a work, a workplace skill set and personality survey. So it basically asks that each person fills out this survey before we even go to the resume review process. So if someone reaches out to us, we send them the survey, and then we have this dashboard where we can kind of aggregate everyone who's applying for any job that we have open. And we can set within our backend what we, what we would categorize as like the ideal candidate for this role and what their ideal survey assessment would be and like what their pattern needs to be to have be successful in this role. And it's really almost not ever been wrong. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and even in hindsight, we have seen that the people who have not felt like the right fit for some reason we didn't understand, having them take the, the survey kind of elucidated for us why that was the case. And in a lot of situations, we've been able to move them into the right roles. And in some situations, we've had to part ways simply, not just because of that, of course, but all the things that surrounded it. And, and in those cases, people really, I think, do feel a sigh of relief because they haven't felt like they were in the right seat on the bus either. So yeah, Culture Index has been great. So essentially processes, you send in your email, you email, we send you the survey, you take it, you go into a funnel. And then based on what we see there, we'll, you know, review the resume, reach back out for that second phase of an interview, unless the fit is just not there for this specific role, but you do still live in our database. So we can always go back to you. So I, I really love that program. That's great. I definitely want to check it out. We've used a platform called Predictive Index before okay. for hiring, yep, it's which is kind of similar. Really, yeah. So I de definitely want to check that out. Are there other business tools, software solutions that have really helped you as you've been scaling the business? All the apps that integrate with Shopify are amazing. There's so many tools that, you know, we, we've used there. We had to build custom programs for ourselves, including our customizer for our website, since we're largely a custom business. So about 40% of our business is custom creation. Besides that, the standard 
standard stuff, Clavio for email, which has been great. I used MailChimp in the early days, but Clavio is totally a, a, a a better tool. We're switching to Clavio right now for entrepreneurs. So we're in the process. Yep. <laughs> it's a good tool. And then just kind of, again, leaning on what works when it works, right? So for a while, we were working with an agency to do all of our paid media ads and our digital ads, both on you know Google and whatnot, and also Facebook. And then we brought some of those people into a consulting basis. And now we have some of those people in-house. So just kind of like adjusting as you grow. And like I said, there are times like people will be valuable and these programs will be valuable for a season. And then they might stop being as valuable because you figured it out or you've grown a little bit differently. And now you need to shift gears into another direction. And that's okay too. Well, I want to shift gears a moment and talk about your marketing strategy. And of course, social media has evolved so much over the past 10 years and things that worked 10 years ago probably don't necessarily totally work right now. What has it been like, you know, figuring out how to really crack the code on marketing and how to continue to just learn what's working and continue to evolve over the years? I will say that in those early years, everything that we did was based on my gut (laughs) and bringing on people that I could really just trust their vision as well. Like Mariah, who is one of my earliest, is my earliest employee that's still with me here today. And we would bounce ideas back and forth and we would try them. And at that small scale, if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. And that was okay. I really never put money behind our marketing strategy until around... Truly, genuinely around 2019, 2020. And then like the real bucks didn't, I didn't start putting that behind it until around 2021. So like very recently, before that, we really didn't have much of like a marketing strategy outside of we knew we had to contact the customer somehow and give them insight into what we were doing and anything that was new. And we wanted to make sure that we we did that regularly. So we'd have an you know, email blasts that went out, we would show up in person, like IRL, any opportunity that we could. We were huge about this guerrilla marketing concept, this community marketing, and really leaning into that community, which is something I, I genuinely believe that we did so well in those early days. And even up until, you know, we really shifted into more of like a paid media strategy. And that's simply, it was twofold. One, I didn't have the paid media chops. I definitely worked with, I had my cousin's company that worked with us for a while. I've had, you know, people ad hoc that just gave advice and would help. But it wasn't until I hired my first true VP of marketing back in 2020, because it was the COVID craziness. And I was able to get this really awesome talent who came from, you know, a life in Abercrombie and beauty and L'Oreal. And so I was able to find someone that like, I probably couldn't have gotten if I, if it weren't for the pandemic, right? Cause she was unfortunately found herself out of work and long story longer. She really changed the game for us. Her name's Lauren and she's still here with us today. And she put in processes that didn't exist. She found all these incredible partners and Bill joining in 2021 also helped us, Bill, my husband, get there. So all that to say, you know, the strategy really went from gut feeling, knowing what, you know, the customer wants and not necessarily having to ask them for it to and giving them what that is. And then into more of a strategy, though I will say I, I oftentimes will kind of come over top and say, well, my gut is telling me that we should still do this. And 
luckily I have a team that believes in that gut still. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we kind of led the two. That gut is very important and you would not be where you are today without that. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned over the years is trusting that gut. But of course, like knowing what you don't know and when to bring in other people to to help take things to the next level. And it sounds like you found the right people to to really help ramp things up. Well, do you know what some of the strategies that Lauren put in place that have really helped move the needle? Like what's been working really well? Well, I mean, for one, just like a team of people underneath her that she's been able to, like, she really has been able to kind of teach me of all these different type, like the structure, if you will, like prior to her. And again, this has a lot to do with capacity, uh, you know, financial ability, uh, you know, whether or not there was talent, a pool of talent to choose from, right? But As we like, so I was very lucky to have her join because then she was able to help build that team and she could leverage people from her past that she could bring on and people she's worked with in the past that she could connect us with. So it was really, you know, a matter of just kind of building that structure underneath her and knowing what that structure was, right? Because this is something as an entrepreneur and as someone, I was an English major in college, like I had no idea I very much so am the type of person and the type of CEO, I guess I could say, that really leans on the people that I I hire. And the only thing that I ask in return from them is like, yes, I will literally give you the keys to the car, drive it, and I will trust you. But if there ever is a moment where my gut takes over and I just have to have it my way, you know, fight back with me a little bit, of course, and we can figure it out and land. But trust me too. Right. And I think we've really gotten to a beautiful place as a team um, where we can do that. But yeah, so putting in that team was one thing, moving to a paid media strategy where we put a lot more money and really looking at it on like a growth hacking scale. So looking at it every day, understanding, okay, well, we're spending a lot on this keyword, but this one's popping. Let's drop what we're spending here. Really spending time and energy there. Looking at it as from a whole 360 viewpoint, like making sure everything that we hit the customer with is getting hit. It's both on a paid scale, it's social, it's email, it's activating in real life and giving those multiple touch points to the customer has been a huge piece of growing the business because, you know, you can only attend so many street fairs when you're becoming a huge brand. Now it's like, okay, we got to dial back that growth marketing strategy that was very, very, like I said, community driven and, and guerrilla and more so lean into the strategy that is like, it's forecasting dollars against spend. It's like really dialing in those numbers and hiring people that are number focused is like the number one thing I I could have done for this brand. And that is my husband, Bill, who came from finance and Lauren, as well as her husband, David, are all like this little kind of family. And he came from Victoria's Secret and has a background in planning and analytics and financial and all that stuff. So yeah, it's it's really finding the people that makes all the difference and not being afraid to admit when you don't know what you're talking about and then knowing when to die on the hill when you just feel like I can't explain why, but I just know this one and being okay if you're wrong. I mean, there are times where I have to admit to them like, yep, you know, probably shouldn't have tried candles. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't sell very well, you know, and sorry, the price was wrong. Like, 
but that's okay because I'm I'm capable of, of admitting when I'm when I'm wrong and you can only hope that your team is as well. Absolutely. Coming up, you'll hear how Adriana was able to get her products into Target. All right, Adriana, this is my favorite segment. We're going to get to know you a little bit more and really fast. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Mm-hmm. How would your friends describe you in three words? Intense, late, <laughs> hardworking. What is the craziest thing that has happened to you in your business? Target. Take buying the product and putting it in 900 retail stores has just been insane. Wow. We're going to talk yeah. more about that in just a second. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite app on your phone that you cannot live without? Instagram. Yeah, it's the only one I go to often. I'm such a millennial in that way. <laughs> <laughs> How about your favorite business tool that's helped you grow your business? Instagram as well. I will tell you when I first started the business, Instagram was, I thought it was like an editing app, but yet it became the place where I met my customer the most in the, in the market, in the real world. And it's been an incredible tool for us thus far. Those are a lot of words, but I had to give IG a shout out there. (laughs) Yes. Last rapid fire. Do you have a hidden talent? Vintage picking, (laughs) finding little tchotchke things from like the olden days that are just so special I would say maybe maybe that and like maybe a little bit of interior decor but not really as much of a talent Mm. more of a more of a passion I love that all right back to our, our regular questions now so I know we mentioned this in the beginning when we first started recording we initially connected several years ago because of both of our journeys with infertility how have you managed to navigate the really the process and everything that it takes to go through the whole process and journey of, of infertility while you've also been managing growing this incredible growing business? Yeah, I could ask you the same question, right? It's that's the hardest part, but somehow you just do it because you know that it's just as big of a dream and just as important, if not more important of a dream to become a mom when you really, really want it that badly. There's nothing you will stop at to get and and, and fulfill that dream. But it's the hardest thing you'll ever go through is going through infertility. It's the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing to shake yourself out of when you are going through it and even becoming pregnant. I, you know, my favorite thing I ever heard was that pregnancy is not a cure for infertility because it really does affect your psyche and it is trauma. It's daily, monthly, yearly trauma that you just can't get out of until, you know, maybe you, you get to hold that baby. Um, that's healing for sure. But then even that it's like, wow, that really took a toll, you know, and it, it did, it affected my business in those, in those years. And I, I would, I would posit that it probably affected how quickly we grew because I did shift my focus to be pretty much 99% on getting pregnant and going through the route of, um, you know, we did do IVF to conceive our first son and, It was, like I said, one of the most taxing things I've ever done, but 
I learned so much and I really learned the importance of letting go and not trying to control every piece of my life. And I was able to bring, it's almost like once I experienced what I can only consider to be the worst fear and the worst, lowest place of my life. Once I experienced that, it brought a lot of other things into perspective and I kind of chilled out across the board and it made me a little bit easier, probably a little bit better of a boss, a little bit better of a, a CEO in general and, and building this business because I became very like flow state and it's all right. It's going to happen. If it happens, it happens. At least, you know, I'm not in that lowest place that I had to be for those, all those years. So I think that answered the question. Yeah, no, I, I can so relate to that. I feel like after going through all of the trauma, trying to get pregnant, and then for me, of course, I had this crazy complicated pregnancy as well. Everything else to me now just seems like, okay, we'll figure it out. Like, unless it's a life or death situation, I like just am able to just stay so even and calm with basically everything. And I feel like in business, at least before then, there was like so many heightened emotions every single day in business. Like as you're going through all these ups and downs, the, you know, the things that would come up that would be like, Oh my God, how did this happen with this employee? Like you would freak out. And now when things happen, I'm like, okay, how are we going to yeah. solve it? Like, <laughs> yeah, everything just feels like a something, something that can be solved more than ever before. And I think it's because, you know, when you go through infertility, there are real moments where you question whether or not it, it is solvable. And for a lot of women, it, it isn't. And that's probably the hardest thing. It also really opened my eyes to the importance of being an advocate for people who maybe feel like they can't speak about their story. And infertility is such a sensitive topic that for me, because I'm someone who is willing to be open and like, I don't really care what people have to say about me. I, I do to a degree. But when it comes to this, I just want to help other women. And I know that we can feel so alone in those moments. So that's where I really became much more of an advocate about fertility and the importance of the access of it and just getting those treatments and having that help and even just that guidance and just more information and more research done. I mean, I was an unexplained diagnosis. And I, I talked about this on a, a, another podcast recently, but that's like really hard to to navigate. Like on the one hand, you don't want anything to be wrong, but on the other hand, you just need to have an answer. And it would just be great if there was more research done around why people, so many people have that unexplained diagnosis. And then fast forward, you know, two years, I conceived my current pregnancy naturally and completely out of the blue. And it's like, on the one hand, I'm obviously ecstatic, but on the other hand, I'm like, okay, so there was some sort of explanation for the first one. We just still don't know what that is, whether it's mental and that could be possible, but then give me action items that I could have done in that time frame to work through whatever was blocking. You know, maybe it was physical. Well, then let's talk through the action items that we could have got like done to navigate it then, but just hearing unexplained, like your only option is these shots and this amount of money. And, you know, then we go forward, like, thank God for science. I mean, I'm so grateful for it, but I think we have a little ways to go in understanding both female and male fertility and how that all comes into play. So yeah, once I became a part of that club, I just became 
as much as I could and as much time as time would allow an advocate for it. Yeah, no, same here. And look, I started sharing my story and that's how we connected because I was sharing on on social media because it is so lonely and being able to see and hear other people's stories and feeling like you can connect to people. I've made some of my closest friends to this day because I shared my story on, on social media and Molly would actually not be here if I hadn't shared because I connected with people who helped me get to the right doctors and the right information. And it all goes back to what we talked about from the beginning with your business, community connection, and just all, all helping each other. No, for sure. And the importance of self-advocacy and asking the right questions. That's actually the first conversation that you and I had together. I got on the phone with you. I was just like, what do I do? Like I'm about to go into it. And you were so adamant that I find the right, the right team, the right lab and how all that comes into play and that you ask the right questions and that you really make sure that you are the captain of this ship because it is still a system that you're working within, right? And in the way that so many things are, that even though it is a positive system and it helps so many women, it is still a system and it makes some money and you got to make sure you're working with the right people. And that's something that, you know, I think is the theme of this podcast, right? Yes. Like find the right team <laughs> to yes. get you through the difficulty because people need to support one another and help. Absolutely. Well, look, it's why we started our Entreprenista League community so we could bring as many founders together as possible so everyone can connect and collaborate and share resources and help each other do it better and faster because it can be a lonely journey and it can take a lot longer if you try to do it all alone. And together we can definitely do so much more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Adriana, tell me how your brand ended up getting into Target. Oh my gosh, the Target conversation um, started probably about like seven to eight months before we ever even had an opportunity to present the line to the the buyer of Target. One of the things that I'm really proud of is we had an opportunity to get in front of Target's kids buyer and it would be a kid's product if we were to get on the shelves. They loved it. They wanted to bring it in. My rep that was kind of connecting us with the target buyers and the target team kind of was like, you should do it. You know, this is a great opportunity. It's very hard to get into adults, very hard to get into adult. They don't really do third party jewelry. It's a lot of their own brands. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> we are staying with the adult story because that is what this is about. And as much as I do want to create for kids and we have a lot of things in the works to give those children access, but also focus on that tween market where we really need to learn how to be nice to one another. I still believe that the brand story really resonated the most with young moms, young women who probably weren't shopping in kids. So one of the things that I'm most proud of is sticking to that gut instinct and really kind of waiting until the right opportunity came along. And that's where we got connected to the target buyer for adult jewelry, um, adult accessories, and she loved it and has been so incredible to work with. They really are a great partner to work with. Um, I also was very adamant about uh, making sure that the brand's messaging and the brand's um, overall storytelling was a part of the Target experience. So even though there are some Target stores that just like can't get it together and put up the display correctly and have the branding right, what we were able to get the buyer to agree to is that we would be on an end cap 
we would have our brand storytelling, we'd have our own photos and imagery. It would have our slogans. Our packaging would be ours and our price point would be the exact same as on our website. So it was not an off price product. It was not a sub brand that a lot of brands will do for Target to meet the margin. They believed in us enough to give us all of that. They saw our value and they gave us what we asked for. And it's become a top selling accessory for them. So, and a top partner for us. I mean, they single-handedly are, are going to make a significant difference in this business. So yeah, it's been an incredible partnership. And I think ultimately it's, it's connecting with the right people. Again, working with rep groups when you, when you need to being okay with giving up a piece of the pie so that you can get your foot in the right doors. And that's pretty much the only way to get into Target. You can't just like kind of walk in and pitch. You have to have that partner that will take a small percentage of the sale ongoing, but it makes it a lot easier to handle the communication and the back and forth. So yeah, I'd say when whenever approaching bigger chains, making sure that it's going to be brand additive and not decretive and not like taking away from who you are as a brand, but also really dying on certain hills to make it very clear that that matters to you more than anything. And that is why you have gone to where you've gone because you've always been passionate about that. And that comes through in those buying meetings and usually results in a better sale. Well, congratulations. And I can tell you when I have seen the bracelets in Target, I always smile and just get so excited. Actually seeing you everywhere. When I was just in Hilton Head, South Carolina, I was in a small little shop and they had a little words project display. And every time I see it, I actually take pictures on my phone and I'm always like, oh, I should text you and send it to you. I'm not going to bother you right now. But all the time I get so excited for you. No, seriously, (laughs) please do send. And anyone listening, please send me your pictures. If you see them in the wild, most of the time you you won't see something that I'll see. And I go, I, I take those pictures that I get from via DM all the time. I'll take them. I'll send them right to my sales team and say, Hey, this store needs a re up. This store needs to be re-merchandised. This store has old signage, this. And like, luckily the end consumer doesn't necessarily realize it, but I'm very about deploying the community like that. And even with Target, like I said, sometimes the displays aren't exactly what we want to see. So I have had customers and I'll, I'll reward you with stacks of free product. I have customers go in and they'll reach, they'll change out the displays for me and make sure it looks nice and remerged because, you know, Target's such a huge company. It's very hard to get that communication downstream to the, the, the people boots on the ground there. Um, so I've deployed my own little army. I love it. Well, <laughs> of nice I, will, girls. I will send you, I will send you this picture. Please. I actually have a picture. This is from one of the stores in the outlet mall in, in South Carolina in Hilton Head, right off Hilton okay. Head. So I'll yes, <laughs> send it to me, send it to me because I'd love to see that. Final question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Being an entrepreneurista means stopping at nothing to accomplish your dream and believing in yourself always, first and foremost, because if you don't, who will? Especially when your idea or your design or anything about your product or or vision is a little different or off the beaten path, which ours really was 10 years, mine was 10 years ago, nobody was wearing these bracelets. And if they were, it was like very childish. Yeah. And people just didn't care about it. And we really had to kind of push that up the hill. And we're finally at a place where we have reverse inquiries all the time of incredible brands wanting to bring us 
into their communities because they're looking to gain access to that community. And we've, we're just very lucky that our story has stayed the same the past 10 years. Community has been at the forefront of it. Kindness has been at the forefront of it. Women helping women and self-love so that when you love yourself, then you can feel good enough to pass that love on. All of that has remained true, the same. And that makes me feel so proud. And so being an entrepreneur really is staying true to yourself, believing in your vision, continuing to tell your story, no matter who laughs at you for in, in, the, in the first place and uh, never giving up. I love that. Adriana, where can everyone find you, follow you? And for those that are interested now, of course, in buying your products, where should they head to do that? So you can follow us at Little Words Project on all social media platforms. You can shop us on littlewordsproject.com. And we're actually going to be offering a coupon code, a promo code for our entrepreneurista community. So entrepreneurista 15 will get you 15% off through the end of May, 2023. So it's a great Mother's Day gift and all the other goodies that you can possibly shop for in this time frame. And then you can follow me, Adriana Carrig, just at Adriana with one N, Carrig on Insta. I have a podcast as well at Glow Through It podcast. And we are always just kind of sharing insights both into business owning and running a business and all those details, but also personal life and growing a family and being a mom and a entrepreneur and CEO and all that good stuff. I'm pretty much an open book on all of my platforms. So I'm always happy to help or, or just, you know, lend a helping hand to anyone who might need it. So I look forward to connecting. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we will link out to all of those good links in the show notes below. Adriana, thank you so much for being here, sharing your incredible story, your business journey, your fertility journey. It is so helpful for all of us to hear it. And that's how we all learn and grow together. So thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Yeah.